The following show is produced and distributed by the Gab Radio Network. You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Oh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, indeed. It's time once again for DM Radio. This is yours truly, Eric Cavanaugh. Thanks for joining us today. Big topic on the docket today, I have to say. We've been watching this evolve for quite some time, but uh, we really have reached a tipping point. I've heard that from lots of different vendors and analysts in the space, and the world is changing. The cloud is really finally showing up in the enterprise radar. Big businesses understand the cloud is real. Uh, That's thanks in large part to big companies like Amazon with Amazon Web Services. But of course, Microsoft has gone all in on the cloud these days. And so have lots of other major vendors, SAP, Oracle, IBM with Bluemix. All these guys have gotten the cloud religion these days, and it's a very serious world. But this does pose some fun and exciting challenges, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So the exact title of of today's show is Enterprise Architecture in the Era of Hybrid Cloud. Yes, indeed, and we should probably throw multi-cloud on the back of that title because that's the other big topic we're seeing these days, the other challenge. A big, first of all, thanks to our partner, Dataversity. Hop online to dataversity.net to learn about all these different issues from a data perspective. Uh, Enterprise Data World is coming up in just a couple short months now out there in San Diego. Hope to see you folks out there. And we have a couple great guests online for you. I'm very pleased to have uh, a, a longtime veteran, a real expert in the field here. We've got Sam Holtzman from the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence. And we also have another veteran of the master data management space. Uh, we have Ravi Shankar of Denodo on the call. And we're going to talk about how things are changing. And uh, Sam in the pre-call had some pretty funny comments about uh, how new trends like big data, for example, will actually obscure and uh, at least partially obviate for a period of time the whole concept of architecture. And for those who are not familiar, what we mean in this industry, in the data business, by architecture is not so much buildings, but it is diagrams and schematics and the actual architecture of your information systems. That stuff matters when you get to be a large company. If you're just a small company, it's probably not a very big deal. Uh, But just think about how much cloud changes things. So now we have this world of hybrid cloud. And what that really means is you've got a bunch of stuff on premises. You have a bunch of stuff in the cloud. How do you connect these two? Simply put, that's not an easy thing to answer. Um, Mostly it's very ad hoc. It's very piecemeal. It's relatively scattered. And uh, in that case, you have a sort of de facto enterprise architecture, which is not a very good one. It's not a very clean one. And that's going to cause you some trouble. Now, there are some industries where this is really, really important stuff. Pharmaceutical, obviously, is a big one. Financial services. Anytime you've got a lot of regulation, uh, a lot of compliance, a lot of regulators peering over your shoulder, looking at what you're doing, that's when you have to take enterprise architecture very seriously. But even if you're just a mid-sized to large business, you really want to understand where the data is, how it moves to other places, where it's used, all these issues. Data lineage is one of the terms that they use out there. These all become very important. And really, architecture is all about optimizing the flow of information. You want to get information quickly. You want to get the right information to make good decisions. This comes in very handy if you have, for example, call centers. If you have a website or a call center, you want to be able to tie these systems together in a meaningful way such that when some big client calls up, uh, some big customer of yours, you want to know, hey, this is a big customer. We have to take care of this person. You want to know information about them. You want to see they were just on the website, for example. That's a that's a challenge that good enterprise architecture can solve because you have placed priority on key systems and key information assets, and you're able to deliver information where and when it needs to go. Uh, but uh, as Sam was joking before the show, when new big technologies come out, uh, people seem to forget about that. And I guess I'll use that as a segue to bring Sam in. So Sam Holtzman, welcome to DM Radio. Eric, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And uh, this is a topic uh, that has a a lot of interest uh, uh, to me. And uh, as we chatted just a little bit uh, before uh, our, our live broadcast, uh, we've been trying to do enterprise architecture uh, be- well before it was popular. We began 
1972. So we've been at this for a while, and <laughs> one of these days we'll get it right. <laughs> wow. No, you, you. So you made a really good point about how architecture tends to get lost in the weeds. Maybe you could give our audience, uh, especially our business audience out there, just some background on on what it is that you folks do, because you, of course, teach a lot of classes uh, around the Center of Excellence concept for enterprise architecture. Can you give our audience just an overview of what you mean when you talk about enterprise architecture, and then let's kind of dive into how that matters for companies today. Sure, absolutely. Uh, thank you. And I'm going to give you some physical analogies uh, that seem to resonate really well. Um, when you're building a log cabin, you don't need much architecture. When you're building a 100-story building, there's no question that you're going to have a lot of architecture before you do implementation. And that's an analogy that uh, I, I hope uh, rings true to the audience that's with us today. Things are getting more complex out there, and the common denominator when you have to deal with complexity is a series of representations that human beings can understand. I know that sounds kind of funny when I say human beings, but that's very different than a set of representations that we need to implement something. So we talk about two types of representations in the world of business and enterprise architecture, and that's human consumable rep representations for the business person, which gives them an understanding of what is going to actually happen. And that understanding is something that we suggest needs to be described to these people in less than 90 seconds of demystification. <laughs> now, that's very different than implementing what we're trying to do, which is a different set of things. So just like in the physical world, there's engineering and manufacturing, in the world of business, there's architecture and implementation. And since IT is relatively immature, it's only about 40 years old compared to other professions, we always start new areas in the manufacturing or implementation world, and eventually we get around to architecture because the complexity has gotten to us. And that's really where we are now, Eric. We're at that point where we're moving from the industrial age through the Internet age into the information age. And now we're seeing this understanding that because of the complexities, we've got to write things down before we start spending money on implementing things. Hmm. Yeah, that's good uh, consultation advice right there, right? And it's the a kind of advice a lot of people don't take. And uh, I think you made a really good point, too, before the show about... The, the quick fix. Everybody wants the silver bullet, um, but there's never, it seems to me there's never going to be a silver bullet with enterprise architecture. I certainly do see some very interesting technologies these days, like data catalogs, for example, which will dynamically crawl through your information systems and come back and give you some recommendations. That's about the closest I've seen to an, an automatic pilot version of, of building out an enterprise architecture. But what do you think? Are you seeing topics like data catalogs crop up in conversations that you have with your audience? or What, do you what we see, Eric, is, um, frankly, um, and it's unfortunate, because uh, we've been talking about this for over four decades, we see a misrepresentation of EITA and EA. Now, what is EITA? Hmm. Enterprise Information Technology Architecture. A wonderful topic. And those are the things that we need to do prior to implementing something. It's very, very important. But enterprise architecture is about figuring out what to implement, not how to implement it. Hmm. And so it's a very different thing. So data catalogs and master data management, these are massively important topics. The concept of agile implementations is massively important. The problem is it's different than saying, what do we need to do? So let me give you an example that um, may be uh, something that, that people, people understand. There's a lot of talk about optimizing processes, for example, or optimizing data. For example, in the world of processes, you have things like Six Sigma, sciences and, and techniques and certifications that teach people how to optimize their processes. Phenomenally great topic. 
But here's what I would do if I was a company prior to doing that type of work. I would first ask, do I have to do that process in the first place? That's an architecture question, not an implementation question. So those questions come first. The other thing we have to recognize is what you referred to is commonly referred to at least a few decades ago as reverse engineering, trying to take something that is implemented and figure out what the intent was. Now, the engineering Hmm. sciences, not IT, the engineering sciences have taught us something that may sound silly. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't sound silly, but it does sound silly when I say it. You can't reverse engineer something if it wasn't engineered in the first place. So what we have here is <laughs> what we have is essentially a series of guesses. And we've written some papers, by the way, on those topics that just question scientifically whether it can be done. I know that's a desire. It's a phenomenal desire. And I'd love to see it. And I'd love to sell it to people because it would be great. But if the, if you can't mathematically come from a business intent to an implemented understanding, then trying to reverse that isn't going to happen without human intervention. So tools can help. Yeah. But what we get into no, is that's... the silver bullet magic. And that's where we start mm-hmm. getting a little uh, nervous about hearing about these magician things that are out there rather than analytical things that you and I are talking about. Right. You know, I I think that one of the benefits of the cloud, and I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on this, and we'll talk with Ravi Shankar of Denoto about it as well in, in the next segment, but one of the nice things about the cloud is this evolution of the API, the application program interface. And for those who aren't familiar with what that means, it's literally just the mechanism by which two applications talk to each other through the cloud. Because, of course, in the old world, if you will, which is still all around us, it's not like it's history yet. Uh, it's slowly, slowly grinding towards history, I suppose. But uh, in, in the original way of enterprise software, you would hard code connections between systems, what they used to call uh, enterprise application integration or enterprise integration, where you would take your Oracle database and you would literally tie it to some other application, or if it was your CRM to your ERP or whatever the case may be, you would have to build out these connectors and, and tie them together and maintain them and keep them rolling. Whereas now the de facto standard for the web is this API and APIs are evolving very, very quickly. And of course they use what's called a restful interface. Usually Uh, it was supposed to be soap back in the day. That's what all the uh, experts told us. Simple object access protocol as they, as they called it. But I've kind of seen soap disappear, at least from the people I talked to and rest is now the mechanism. We always love the name of that one too. Representational state, representational state transfer, I think is what it stands for. Um, but it's just a, it's, I, I almost think of how a, uh, how, how you use a stick shift, right? And how the actual mechanism works to get into gear, right? These disks are spinning and then they come together and click. And that's kind of how I view uh, these RESTful APIs. But I'm wondering from your perspective, is that going to make life a little bit easier down the road for enterprise architecture because you have these fairly sophisticated mechanisms for connecting applications? What do you think? Um, Eric, um, I would humbly, and I mean this, suggest it's just the opposite. It's making things more complex. Hmm. And that has to do with mathematics. It has nothing to do with the API. So, for example, if you have 11 systems that have very, very solid APIs that have been tested to the nth degree, you have approximately 39 million possible connections. Let me say that number again. 39 million hmm. possible connections. And that has to do with 11. It's 11 factorial. Now, without architecture, you're sort of guessing at which set of those are going to optimize your enterprise. I think we're sort of upside down a little bit. We're starting with the technology and trying to determine what, how to lash this together. 
Now, let's talk about a house for just a moment, something very, very simple. What you start off with is a set of blueprints, and one of the things on the blueprint would say, I need to get from the dining room to the kitchen. Sounds like a very logical thing. Now, here's what we have to recognize. If we have a perfect kitchen and a perfect dining room, and somebody says to us, oh, by the way, we now have to connect those, in the physical world, that there's going to be what's referred to as scrap and rework, <laughs> okay? Because you didn't think about yeah. it ahead of time. And that's what we need to get people to recognize when it comes to technologies. You have to think about these things ahead of time prior to implementation. So the software world has gotten us to a certain point. It says we are going to essentially have one type of plug between uh, different uh, software, so it's just like 110-volt, 60-cycle uh, in the United States. But that has architectural implementation understanding. Each one of these vendors and each one of these APIs are looking at a standard representation, but if some vendor changes something internally in their software, how do we know what the effects are on the other things that are out there without an architecture? How do we know the pathing? Hmm. And with 39 million possible paths, that's where we get into trouble. <laughs> hmm. Wow, no, that's so we're interesting. Getting so we're getting there. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's interesting. I mean, now, we are if, if, we are in the middle of this. Yo, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so all I'm saying, the technology is marvelous. I, I want everyone that's listening to us to recognize I'm a technoid weenie. <laughs> I love this stuff. But on the other hand, I also understand the engineering side of the world. And mm. whether that's a detriment or benefit in my brain, I'm not really sure. But I'm all for this stuff. I'm all for this stuff. But I do want to suggest that I believe that the reason that most organizations are getting a little fed up with IT, especially on the business side, is because the bills keep going up. And the functionality is staying the same or going lower. Well, maybe we should take a look at that. Why is that happening with all of these technological miracles that are out there? Well, I think it's because not understanding what the business is actually looking for. So once again, I want to stress, these technologies are marvelous. But I think the issue is more understanding what the business needs rather than the technology that may or may not address that solution. Yeah. Now, that's a really good point. And as I think about this, and I'm looking at the abstract for our show, reminding myself that there's another big side of the equation here. One, you're just talking about the need to understand impacts when things change, for example, and governance has suddenly become a hot concept, right? It's, it really should have been a hot concept the last 25 to 30 years, but in just the last couple of years, and maybe it's the data breaches, I'm not exactly sure what's driving all of this. We do have some regulations coming down the pike, the GDPR we've talked about before, General Data Protection right. Regulation out of the EU. It's a straw in the wind. But if you don't have architecture, you don't really have governance either, right? Uh, Eric, perfect. We have a, um, we have a, I'm going to put my commercial hat on and I'm saying this up front to everybody. Just a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, we introduced a new course uh, in our curriculum called Soft Skills for Business and Enterprise Architects. And it, that's, that's that side of the equation that you're, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that you're talking about. It's not just drawing a bunch of models. It's the governance process of how they're created, how they're maintained, how they're distributed. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's important stuff. And I like that you focus on the soft skills, too, because it seems to me a big part of getting a solid, clean, workable, usable, defensible, if you will, enterprise architecture is to talk to people. You have to not just rely on systems information, but on human information. Talk to your team, talk to the business people, talk to the analysts, talk to the IT people. I mean, this is a full-time job. In fact, it's it's frankly something that requires a whole team if you're in a large organization. But I can tell you, we talk to enterprise architects all the time. We know how important they are. We know that they are critical to getting good, solid information systems. And with that, folks, we're going to go to our break. We'll be right back in about two minutes. You're listening to DM Radio. 
Crumbs, crumbs. This is crumbs. Some people are really out of touch. Next on Dan's Life. For many businesses, hiring is tough. You want access to highly qualified candidates fast. And you don't want to sign a long-term contract or pay upfront fees. That's why you need Indeed.com, delivering six times more hires than any other job site, according to independent research. Indeed is offering new users a $50 credit to give their first job post premium visibility as a sponsored job. Redeem this offer at Indeed.com slash credit. That's Indeed.com slash credit. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. In the wake of the GOP-sponsored tax reform bill, opponents Nancy Pelosi and Debbie Wasserman Schultz wasted no time taking to the media to rip it to shreds. The House Minority Leader said that the multitude of bonuses that have been given to employees, which interestingly appears often as $1,000, were crumbs. Well, crumbs it may be to a multimillionaire whose day job pay is closing in on $200,000, a person who gets meals and travel paid for and doesn't have to do many of the tasks that many of us have to. But in my world, $1,000 pays for groceries for me and my family for a lot longer than it does when you live in San Francisco or D.C. And Congresswoman Schultz, though correctly pointing out that $1,000 doesn't go far for most people, at least it's not as far as it used to, well, that's relative, especially for someone doing well. But try telling that to a parent who, again, worries about paying bills and filling bellies. In my heart of hearts, I pray that all leaders, Republican or Democrat, have the people's best interests at heart. And as much as I know that's probably impossible, I cling to it, lest I become cynical. But if $1,000 is crumbs, why didn't these two and their colleagues just try to get us more? That's how I know that their rhetoric is part of the game, the one in which we are pawns. So crumbs, really? Well, maybe if we got more crumbs, we could add them up to get a slice. This is Dan's Life. Welcome All back right, to folks. DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Yes, indeed, folks. Welcome back once again, DM Radio, talking with a couple of experts out there in the field of enterprise architecture and data virtualization. We just heard from my buddy Sam Holtzman, the data govern. I'm sorry, the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence. And next up, we have Ravi Shankar, Chief Marketing Officer for a company called Denodo, Masters of Data Virtualization. They've been doing that stuff for quite some time now. I mentioned earlier that Ravi has a history in master data management. That's another rather large segment of the information management business, but data virtualization arguably is even broader, uh, and it's actually a very good topic to talk about in the concept of enterprise architecture. So with that, Ravi, welcome to DM Radio. Thank you, Rick. It's good to be again on the DM Radio show. Yeah, sure. So you heard Sam (laughs) throwing out his cautionary tales about why folks need to pay attention to these things, why it's important, especially in the era of hybrid cloud, to really care about architecture and to really care about understanding your systems, where the data lives, where it came from, how it gets different places, all of that stuff. There are obviously old ways of doing things, and there are new ways of doing things. And data virtualization is not new. It's been around for, gosh, at least 15 years, I suppose, maybe longer, depending upon how you how you define it. But it does seem to be really catching on these days, and I think with good reason. So maybe could you first start us off by explaining to our audience out there, especially the business folks, when you talk about data virtualization, what exactly does that mean, and how does it fit into the context of enterprise architecture? Definitely. Yeah, I will be addressing the problem that Sam talked about in terms of the 11 uh, factorial 39 million connections and how a data virtualization simplifies that. So data virtualization, the way I would kind of describe is uh, data abstraction layer that uh, shields the underlying changes in the systems, and which is a very relevant topic today as many companies are migrating from their on-premise data centers to cloud-based systems. And the business users who are using those systems in the process will get affected when you have these point-to-point connections. So you want to have an abstraction layer that disintermediates the changes that are happening underneath from the systems to the business users who need to run their campaigns, who need to run their financial reports, who need to file compliance papers. Uh, so that they really don't care which system from which they're getting those information as long as they get it timely and uh, with good quality. 
So the data virtualization is the abstraction layer that uh, sits in between the data consumers, who are the business users, and the data sources, which are moving from the on-premise to the cloud. And uh, it provides um, a logical data lake, if you will, um, of all the enterprise data uh, to the business users. Hmm. Okay, good. And, you know, you bring up a really, really good point here that's perfectly in in line with the topic of the day, which is enterprise architecture in the era of hybrid cloud. When we talk about hybrid cloud, again, we're talking about connecting cloud environments to on-premises environments, to traditional data centers, or whatever your systems happen to be on your premises. And I'm quite sure that we're going to be living in this hybrid world for a long, long time, maybe forever going forward, it seems to me. I think there are some companies that will be cloud first, they'll be mostly in the cloud but still, as you know, legacy systems really don't ever die, do they? they? They just sort of fade away until IT stops supporting them. But um, I think Denodo is very well positioned to facilitate this migration to the cloud because you create a sort of marshalling area that we call the data virtualization layer. And then slowly but surely, you can start incrementally populate in the cloud more and more, right? So it's not like a forklift from on-prem into the cloud. It's more of a gradual movement with data virtualization as that stepping stone. Does that make sense? Exactly right. And uh, as you talked about, if you look at the cloud, we are going to be living in a hybrid world for quite a while, but the percentage of composition between on-premise data center and the cloud is shifting quite a bit. So if you look at uh, the current uh, statistics uh, from IDC, a survey that they did, for the amount of money that is being spent on public cloud computing, it is literally doubling from uh, 2016, uh, 82 uh, billion to uh, 162 billion in 2020 in just a matter of four years. So you can see that there is a lot of change that is happening. People are moving to the uh, hybrid uh, to the to the cloud quite a bit, and that actually shows reflects in um, the shows that uh, we go to. So I travel the world across multiple different uh, trade shows, data management shows, garner anywhere between like 200 to 800 attendees. Uh, but to the AWS reInvent in Las Vegas, I was there last November. It is like 50 to 60 thousand people. So it tells the magnitude of the change that is happening from the old world to the new world. And there is um, another survey that was conducted by IDG in which they say um, going forward by 2018, uh, which is actually this year, only about you know, 40% will remain on on-premise. So more than uh, you know, 60% of the infrastructure is actually moving on to the moving on to the cloud. So and people are using various different ways for moving on to the cloud. Some are kind of lifting and shifting, uh, which means they are re-hosting their existing applications on the cloud platform, yet others are kind of re-platforming, which means they are changing the underlying web server from on-premises to the cloud. Some are completely repurchasing, they are dumping their on-premise systems and buying SaaS, new SaaS equivalents of that, and uh, yet others are kind of redeveloping, they are rewriting all their legacy applications to the cloud-native capability. Now, in that process, there are a lot of challenges in this interim hybrid world. You think about um, the security concerns. Uh, still, you find like healthcare, financial services companies not hosting all the data in the cloud. There are a lot of performance bottlenecks. Once you put things in the cloud, um, you do not have the control uh, you, that you had on the data center side. So performance is a big uh, chokehold. And also the business downtime as you're migrating, it is like, you're packing and changing houses to a new one. There is going to be some disruption. Uh, things are going to be in boxes, and you have to unpack them. Um, and also, new things that need to be learned. So now you kind of ditched your old application. You have brand new application. Uh, people don't like change. They want to now learn the new stuff. And in one of the surveys, um, the second largest pain point in this migration to the cloud is the data integration part. So that goes to the point that Sam was talking about, the 30, 39 million connection, because the, the older architecture used like ETL uh, that used to extract all the data, load it into a central server, transform it to the destination, and load it to the destination. And um, 
now data virtualization is kind of coming in the picture where there's literally no movement of data. So it is actually uh, zero replication, zero relocation of the data. It is a pass-through system. Whatever you see in the sources, you what you get at the consuming level. Um, everything is centrally managed from a metadata perspective. The data catalog that you talked about with all the business definitions, security, and governance that we discussed as well. So it's a fabulous, as I mentioned, a logical data lake that encompasses the entire enterprise systems. It doesn't matter whether it is on the cloud, whether it is on-premises, even if it is third-party data coming from your suppliers, vendors. Um, it, it provides that blanket, and the consumers at the top come to this logical data layer and ask for the data, and it provides the data that they need in real time and while maintaining the security governance everything. So it's a logical way for someone to inject agility, flexibility in their architecture. Before you migrate to the cloud, before you change houses, put this abstraction layer on the top so the business users do not face the downtime. They're not bothering you as you kind of you know, change uh, houses so that their work doesn't get uh, impeded. So I was mentioning that as companies are making changes from the on-premises systems to the cloud, they are um, subjecting their business users to um, interruption in the business, and we do not want that. We want the business to go uninterrupted, and how do you do that? So you need to establish an abstraction layer that shields the underlying changes in the systems so that the business can continue at the same pace as it was before while allowing you the flexibility to make the change from the old guard data centers to the new uh, cloud computing system. Yeah, no, this is a really good point, um, Ravi. I'd like to maybe go a bit more into some of the details. Can you talk about when someone engages with Denoto, what does that process look like from, from, the, from the perspective component to actual implementation? What, what do they actually go through when working with you? It is uh, very simple. Um, we do have our own systems on the cloud as well, on AWS and Azure, and uh, people can go try that out. We have a 30-day free trial. All they need to do is they need to connect to the source system. So there are, it's a three-step process. You connect to the source systems from which you want to get the data. You combine the information, uh, which is like you want to co combine like customers with what products they have, what services they have, and so on. And then you consume that within the business applications. That could be your uh, Tableau. Uh, it could be any reporting system. It could be your call center application that you talked about. So any application that the business users use across finance, marketing, sales, you can consume the data through the data virtualization layer and not directly from the sources. That is that abstraction, but it gives you the flexibility if you change for example, from a Teradata warehouse to Amazon Redshift. Uh, the business gets the reports as usual, but now the data is coming from a completely new system, and the data virtualization layer um, abstracted you out from the change that happened underneath. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm so amped up about the possibilities with data virtualization for that specific use case that you just mentioned, because there is a lot of movement out there in the industry. And I think, let's be honest here, Teradata is working pretty hard to reinvent their business, but their model was built on an old set of constraints and an old set of metrics, basically, an old set of price points. And as you know, for a large company, it's very difficult to shift your entire business model to accommodate for major changes in things like hardware cost and things like storage cost. Of course, we also had this entire open source movement that kind of disrupted things with the Hadoop technology stack, uh, which you know has kind of faded a little bit as cloud storage has become more prominent. But that's what gets me excited about data virtualization. There was a really good use case for it 10 years ago. To me, it really is the stepping stone into this new cloud-enabled world, right, Robbie? Exactly. And uh, you, as I mentioned, 
you do not want to uh, step into the new world without having to have this abstraction layer in between. Um, it is fundamental to your enterprise architecture. Uh, you want to put that flexibility, that uh, disintermediation layer, in order to enable you to make the changes without affecting the business. So it is truly, I would say, um, the most important component in your enterprise architecture if you haven't thought about it before. There are many companies that have actually done this and have been successful. Uh, Logitech is an example of a customer that has done this migration from their on-premise to the AWS side. And by using this data virtualization layer, they have uh, done the transition very smoothly without affecting the business. Hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really good stuff. And are you seeing that? Uh, and we got about a minute before our next break here. But are you seeing that large enterprises really are finally understanding and appreciating the cloud is real, that cloud is secure, that cloud is enterprise grade? Has that has that transformation finally occurred in your opinion? It has, um, and a lot of you can see that by by customers that are uh, adopting this uh, big transition. So we have. Uh, very large companies in the Fortune uh, 50, 100 companies that are making the migration to the cloud. And uh, even the data virtualization technology that we sell um, has been predominantly on-premises. They take that and they put that on the cloud, um, even though we have our own cloud version as well. So it is that, that transition has already happened, and uh, that momentum is to stop. And yeah. uh, you would see this even accelerate more in the days to come, and um, we will see a large adoption of cloud. Yeah, I have to think you're exactly right. Well, folks, we'll be right back with our roundtable discussion. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't touch that dial. You are listening to DM Radio. Companies are dominating their industry with insights from big data analytics. Do you have enough data scientists and engineers to keep up? What if your non-technical business analysts could quickly discover new insights from big data on their own to drive profitability and reduce risk? Arcadia Data, the native business intelligence software for data lakes, unlocks the value of big data for the entire organization. Arcadia Data lets you quickly explore information directly within data lakes without moving it and provide self-service analytics and applications to hundreds of concurrent users. We'd be happy to walk you through an Arcadia Enterprise demo. Sign up at arcadiadata.com forward slash demo. That's A-R-C-A-D-I-A-D-A-T-A dot com slash demo. Arcadia Data. Find your insights within. Zoom Data is reinventing business intelligence for modern data platforms, making it easy for people to explore and share data-driven insights. By supporting a wide range of modern and traditional data sources, Zoom Data makes it easy for business users to visualize and analyze huge volumes of data, fast streaming data, unstructured data, and data blended from multiple sources without requiring data movement and modeling. Natively architected for cloud and on-premise deployments, Zoom Data's modern microservices and micro-query-based architecture delivers interactive visual analysis of big and streaming data at speed of thought. To learn more about how Zoom Data can help your business users get the fastest time to insight, visit zoomdata.com today. Dish TV is better than cable TV. Why? Because you can save 45% on packages compared to your high-priced cable bill. Wow. Take those giant scissors out and cut the cable. And save with Dish TV. Plus, you get a free DVR upgrade to record your favorite shows and free installation. And with Dish Anywhere, you can watch TV for free on your mobile device. Act fast. You can save hundreds of dollars. Does your cable company do that for you? 
I don't think so. Get all the best TV programming at your fingertips at a fraction of the price of cable TV. So say adios, arrivederci, goodbye to the high cable bill, and save up to 45% on Dish TV packages today. These are limited time offers and can change at any time. Call fast. 800-610-5739. 800-610-5739. 800-610-5739. That's 800-610-5739. February is Heart Health Month, so Quantum Nutrition Labs is featuring two key support agents for promoting cardiovascular and circulatory health. Quantum Delta Tocotrienol and Quantum Resveratrol. Buy two bottles and get the third one free, and get a free copy of the Biofield Diet. Now is the time to commit to making your heart health a priority year-round. Call 888-588-7578. That's 888-588-7578. 7578 or visit us online at qnlabs.com that's qnlabs.com hi i'm dr bob marshall phd host of healthline tune in to get your questions answered and hear the latest breakthrough information for you and your family our product line quantum nutrition labs delivers what others only promise nutrition that really works healthline is distributed nationally by the gab radio network Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio talking all about the cloud, cloud computing, and uh, how big an impact it's going to have on data management. Of course, we are in the information economy these days. Data drives all that stuff. Increasingly, it's driving it. We're still in the in the liquid phase, it seems to me. Things have not yet crystallized. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But, you know, to Ravi's point uh, from Denoto, the cloud is very serious now. Most large organizations get that. More and more, they're going to be using it. You can look to some of the early juggernauts like Salesforce, to uh, who kind of led the charge here. But now there are just so many cloud providers. It's such a serious player. Even big companies like SAP have gone all in on the cloud, and with good reason. And uh, to get back to your earlier point, Sam Holtzman, I think, uh, let's just be blunt here, the cloud increases the need for enterprise architecture. It increases the the importance of understanding how your entire information landscape stitches together. Because if you don't have that, you're going to lose things, you're going to lose data, you're going to lose customers. So I think that uh, the cloud and this movement to the cloud is going to make enterprise architecture more important. It's also going to make data virtualization more important. <laughs> but maybe, Sam, I'll throw it over to you for some thoughts on uh, maybe some some advice you can give to organizations. Let's say the business person is driving down the highway right now, hearing this, thinking, hmm, yeah, this is reminding me of a conversation I had last year with, with our enterprise architect. How do you explain to people why it's so important that they really appreciate the value of enterprise architecture? Sure, Eric. Uh, more more than happy to. And um, it's it has to do with a bit of history, I think, and where we are, uh, as Ravi mentioned so uh, so well in his uh, uh, in his time on on the air, and, and I know he'll come back in just a few minutes. Also, uh, what we believe fundamentally is that. We in technology are not getting yelled at because things aren't being implemented. We're getting yelled at because what's being implemented isn't what the business people are looking for. And that's because the representations that we think people have used in the past were more tuned to technology professionals and implementations. So, for example, Robbie was mentioning this abstraction layer. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. What we do when we describe that to the business people is to suggest to them that what they need to understand is the stuff that they need to do their business. Now, I use the word stuff with a bit of humor in my voice. They don't want data. Data is an IT term, and the abstraction layer that Ravi is talking about is isolating the business people from the IT stuff on purpose. They want to know about their stuff. They don't know want to they don't want to know and frankly they don't need to care about the structure of that stuff. And that's 
what we need to understand. And that's one of the things, one of the skills that people are recognizing in enterprise architecture. It's essentially the communication mechanism between the business understanding and the technology enablement. And so Mm -hmm. when when we come away with this, we look at the same thing from a physical analogy. When you're building a house, you have a set of blueprints that are essentially tuned to the various skills. There's a blueprint for the carpenter. There's a blueprint for the plumber. There's a blueprint for the electrician. And there's also a very different representation for the person paying the bill, the homeowner. (laughs) And that's what we're seeing in the world out there right now. It's that I believe the issue of the century coming up or the decade coming up is making sure that what is thought about by the business and then represented by the business is actually uh, transmitted to the technology folks. And as the technology changes, the business people, frankly, are not impacted. And whether we call it, as Ravi said, an abstraction layer or recognizing there's a difference between architecture and implementation, that's what's coming to the forefront. And that's because Mm -hmm. the community is essentially maturing. We're maturing in the understanding of how technology needs to be applied for the business. Yeah, that's great. That's that's really good news. And Robbie, I'd like to bring you back in. I, I don't think there's any question that the cloud is now going to be the dominant force in enterprise information management. Uh, we're going to have this very, very long tail where on-premises data centers are going to stick around for you know, 20, 30, 50 years. It's going to be hard to say just how long. But nonetheless, the movement to the cloud is happening. It's going to happen. What do you say to your prospects uh, and to enterprise data professionals in general to help them understand it's important to get this ball rolling now? So for them, uh, for the enterprise architects, uh, it's very important for them to embrace this uh, this change. Uh, the cloud is going to be big, and uh, you can ride that wave uh, to your career heights. And how do you embrace it? How do you make it successful for your company? At the end of the day, we live in a very competitive world. If you're not doing it, your com- competition is doing it and doing it much faster, much better than you. And we see the, um, the companies that are going in and out with all the technology changes that are happening right now. So it's very important for you to um, embrace this change that is actually happening. And uh, I would say you have a window of three to five years uh, bef- uh, by which you need to cloud-enable your uh, company um, majority of the systems in order to provide uh, all the changes that are happening. If you don't, then your competition is going to do it. So you uh, you accept that. And second, you need to put in place systems that will help your company get there in that particular time frame. Have a three-year roadmap that you would, uh, where would you be? What are the applications that would migrate? I talked about four different options, whether you want to re-platform, whether you want to buy a completely new SaaS application, and have that and put a timeline next to it. And uh, in your enterprise architecture, make sure before you take this journey, you might already be in the cloud. Uh, there's no one who is 100% on-premise these days. But as you're kind of making these major changes, you want to shield your business users, your business to continue um, without any interruption. So you want to have, as part of your enterprise architecture, this abstraction layer that will enable you to take your own time to make the migration without having to bother the business. So that will enable your success in your career or your company, and uh, it will be a win-win situation for both. Yeah, that's good news. It really is good news. And Sam, I'll bring you back in. You know, the enterprise architect is as a role. It's such a critical role because that person really has to understand the business. They have to understand IT. They have to understand data. Uh, to me, it's going to be a very critical role going forward, as will be the cloud architect. Do you see those roles kind of converging, or will those still be two very different people, an enterprise architect and a cloud engineering architect? Uh, Eric, what, what we see is there is no one human being, including me, <laughs> that has all the skills to be able to do everything as we move forward uh, in the uh, technology world we're in today. 
And what we've defined is a series of architects underneath enterprise architecture. And underneath enterprise architecture, we have the enterprise architect individual. We have the business architect. And coming to the discussion that we have today, we have what we refer to in our frame of reference as the logistics architect. And that individual has the skills and the know-how and the savvy to look at the as-is state of the enterprise and the desired state of the enterprise and figure out where to put stuff, (laughs) whether it's in the cloud, whether it's hybrid, uh, whether it's the fog computing layer we're hearing about today or the cloud computing layer or the in-house or the shared service. There's all these decisions. And so we believe there is a specialization that we call the logistics architect under the umbrella of enterprise architecture. So, Eric, what we're suggesting is that there's a number of titles, specialty titles, underneath the enterprise architecture. And it's the same as a house. You have the person that knows how to lay out the plumbing, the electric, electrical, the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And then you have somebody that needs to make sure that it all sort of fits together in an integrated manner so that the electrical wire doesn't go through the plumbing. <laughs> okay? And that's the same thing we're seeing now in the complexities of the technology world we're in. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe just some closing comments from you, Ravi, advice that you give to, to let's let's focus on this concept, right? The enterprise architect. Is it usually an enterprise architect who is working with Denodo or what are some of the other titles of folks who actually use your technology? It is usually the enterprise architect. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Eric, data virtualization has been around for uh, 15 to 20 years under different names. It used to be called the uh, EAI, EII, and so on. But um, the not many people, uh, at least to my surprise, kind of know this, but it's very important for people to get educated on the great uh, flexibility that technology provides. And many companies have actually benefited from that. And you can go on to denoda.com and you can... Uh, browse, and I, I, I encourage you to get onto the trial version on AWS or Azure, whichever platform you're using, and uh, try this technology out. Yeah. Okay, folks, we'll be burned through an hour here. Great content. Big thanks to our guests, Sam Holtzman. As you can hear, he puts on all kind of conferences around the country and around the world, so feel free to look him up online, the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence, and of course, Robbie Shankar of Denodo Technologies. These guys know a lot about this stuff, and I can tell you, if you're in big business, if you're in a mid-sized business, and you're recognizing there is a need to start migrating to the cloud, talk to these folks, because they can help you make a relatively painless transition because I can tell you the transition is going to happen. It's going to happen if you if you do it or not. And uh, you don't want to be broadsided. With that, we'll bid you farewell, folks. Thanks again. You've been listening to DM Radio. 